sharp, pointed, and insightful. This is Stacy on the Right on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. Two years ago, the American people elected President Trump to come to this town and shake it up, and he has done just that. But I don't think they've seen the same intensity from House Republicans. Democrats ought to come in with a ability to say, okay, let's get off the dime now. Let's make some things happen. Let's work together. If they come in just swinging and against everything, then it's exactly what the people have said they don't want anymore. They can't stand any more of this. I think you're going to see Border Patrol, uh, along with the, the help of the U.S. military. Obviously, the military can't, can't detain them. But the, the Border Patrol will, I think, mm -hmm. do their best to keep these people from crossing in. It is a bedrock principle of our democracy that every vote is counted and the Senate election in Florida must abide by that rule. I want every legal vote that was cast on a timely fashion to count. Exactly. No one here is asking that not to happen. This level of incompetence gives you no confidence about anything with regards to that office and that's why we got to keep paying attention to what's happening there. We won't miss that deadline. It's too critical. We won't miss it. And now, Stacey Washington. Oh yeah, I'm back, and I'm gonna have to go ahead and I, we were supposed to just wrap that up, but I'm gonna have to go ahead and just say really quickly right now that if your allegiance is to your skin, if your allegiance is to some uh, country outside of this country, then you're gonna have a problem over here. Welcome to the program, Stacy Washington, host of Stacy on the Right. Head over to StacyOnTheRight.com and at Stacy on the Right on Twitter and Instagram. I tell you what, there's to me nothing worse. There's there's nothing worse than someone who can be here in America breathing the beautiful air and and listening to the beautiful breeze and feeling the 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 the, the wonder of our of our just the society here. Just you're just soaking it all up. You're just breathing in all the 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 smells and you're driving down our smooth roads and you're you know, your car's talking to you, your, your dishwasher's singing a tune when it's done. You're just enjoying everything we got to enjoy, but you identify with some other continent, not even a country, a continent. No, not today. No, I'm not going to, I'm not going to have that today. Don't try me. Not today. You know why I feel that way? Because we currently have 15,000 or so people marching on this country from South of the border. They demand to be let in here so that they can breathe our air and drink our water and take advantage of our society. And we have people living here who literally say, well, what we need is acceptance. You know what makes people not want to accept you when you act like that? This is what I found. I could be almost anywhere. And if I have a pleasant look on my face, and we all know I have that, you know, the, the, the syndrome where your face looks like there's something going on and people are always like, what's wrong? I do have that pretty bad. But that being said, when I'm, when I'm focused, when I'm paying attention and I put a pleasant look on my face, I, I rarely encounter anyone who's really rude. And when I do encounter a rude individual as a grown up, as someone who has matured and learned that some people have some pretty rough life circumstances. And I think sometimes we look at our own lives and we're so and this is normal. We get into our own circumstances. We get into our own lives and we start really, oh, this isn't going right. And uh, this is going over there. And I wish this would happen. And this isn't happening for me. And that person's not treating me right. And we can get so mired down in our own problems that we don't realize that other people are really facing dire circumstances. They've got cancer. They've got a sick child. They've got a spouse that's leaving them or cheating on them. Or they've got 
eviction notices and bills piling up and they don't have enough money to make ends meet or they're sick in their own body or they're suffering from some mental illness. We oftentimes look at our own circumstances and think things are just so horrible for me. I went to that store and they weren't nice to me. I got followed around that store or I went over there and I asked to be you know, included in this and they didn't include me or like me on Monday, I was number one on the standby list to take an earlier flight home. The lady, who is not the same ethnic background as I am, if we're only going to talk about diversity, told me that there was one open seat and that I was number one on standby. And then she proceeded to call everybody else up there, gave my seat away, and I had to wait for my regularly scheduled flight, which meant I spent four hours at the Nashville airport. Now, I could have said, you know what, I'm calling your supervisor because this has to be some kind of racism. But what I did do was I said, well, I got some time to spend. I went and found a coffee shop in the airport and worked. Got my laptop out, worked because I have no way of proving that what she did had anything to do with me other than maybe when she looked in the computer again, there wasn't an extra seat. What I'm telling you is that this is a trick of the enemy. It's a lie from the pit of hell that every interaction that happens between two people who don't share the same melanin content is somehow rooted in race. There is real racism Alive and well in this country, and it always will be because people are going to people, but our major problems are not rooted in racism. No, no, sir. Nope. Not racism. It cannot be that we have a problem with rampant racism in this country because whites are still almost 70% of this country. If most white people were racist, we black folks would be armed up and running around, you know, in, in a constant position of defense at all times. We wouldn't have jobs because the majority of the employers in this country are still white. We would not have anywhere to live because the majority of of property and land ownership is still held by people who are not black. The reality is that we would not be flourishing in this country. When I look around and I see the land that we're walking in, the land of milk and honey, the promised land that is America, and that black Americans, we are a part of that experience, we are present and operating at every level of government, at every level of the public. I don't go anywhere in my life where I don't see black people doing whatever they want to do. I don't see any overlords or masters. I don't see whips and chains. I don't see any of that. And yes, you're going to find people who don't want to spend time around you. But there's time for us to really, let's, let's really address that. If you have a bad attitude, you don't speak the Queen's English, you got, uh, you know, a, a weird way of wearing your clothes. That's not a racial thing. That's a cultural issue. If you practice a culture that is absolutely diametrically opposed to what the majority culture is practicing, then you're going to find life's a little bit harder for you. And I'm all about individualism. I like meeting unique people. I, I, you know, I, I try not to be a member of the herd. But the fact is, there are certain acceptable norms that if you don't want to practice those, if you have body odor, if you have poor personal hygiene, you got attitude problem, you got a chip on your shoulder, you have to talk a certain way to prove to other people that you're not going to let any white person tell you how to talk. It's not about white people. It's about pronunciation. The dictionary calls for us to pronounce certain words. We only have two or three variations on how they can be pronounced. And when you participate in the English language fully and acknowledge that there are certain ways to pronounce words and certain ways to speak, you go further in this country. That's the same for everybody. Why do you think that immigrants who come here from nations that don't speak English teach their children English and they want them in English speaking schools because they want their kids to speak English like a native because they know their kids will go further if they do. But why is that not the same for us as black people? You know, I guess 
Now it's time for us to have a little bit of, you know, some people call it going to church. It's time to have a family meeting. It's time for some people to acknowledge that going your own way hasn't really worked out for you. And that's not racism. That's you making poor decisions. So I'm absolutely about knowing where we come from. I have an aunt on each side of my family. So my my original family, like where my parents from both sides of my parents' family, they had one of their sisters on each side actually did research into who we are from from that perspective, from my parents' perspective. Then my husband has an aunt who did a whole bunch of research on my husband's family, so I know where they came from. So we've been able to tell the kids, look, this is how we this is how we entered America. This is how we entered America on my side, from my mom and my dad's side. This is who we're related to. And that is great. But what is bigger than that? You know, you don't. And, and I know there are other people out there who are just as patriotic. So please don't take this to mean that you can't be patriotic if you haven't worn the uniform. But there's nothing like wearing an American, your, your BDUs, your dress blues, your, your, your navies, whatever you got, and going across the water and going to other countries and seeing what other countries believe about themselves and what other countries, their kind of perspective about what America is. And they don't really understand it because, you know, other countries are so small in comparison to us. They don't understand that, like St. Louis, they think St. Louis is basically Ferguson and St. Louis is the suburb because of the news coverage. They don't understand that, you know, all of Germany is like the size of Montana and we have, you know, uh, just gobs of states that are two or three times the size of Montana. So the it's hard for them to understand America unless they've been here. But it's not hard for us to understand the, the outside of this country because as Americans with the internet and the, the YouTube and everything, you can understand. And I just don't understand why anybody would say that they are an African as opposed to saying that they're an American, why you would want to identify with the continent of Africa instead of identifying with this country. And then in the same breath, say that you want to be accepted, that you want to be included. Where? Where do you want to be included? Here in this country or, or on the continent of Africa? That's a big continent. You want to be dropped off where exactly? Where do you want to be dropped off? Never mind the fact that lots of countries in Africa practice Islam and Islam is the most oppressive religion when it comes to oppressing black people. The only religion that currently condones slavery of blacks. The word for black person in their language is slave. So please help me understand why you would want to, you know, uh, identify with that rather than identifying here. Whatever Americans might be doing, whatever some nincompoop someplace is doing in America, it can't it pales in comparison to what is going on outside this country to black people internationally, especially on the continent of Africa. And so that article that I was sharing, I didn't share it so people could call up and and defend diversity. I didn't. I didn't share it because we need more talk about how different we are. We need to get away from that. If someone came to you and said, you, the, the doorbell rings, you open the door and the person who's standing there, they're, they're a salesman and they hand you a brochure and you open up the brochure and they say, I'm here to help you make a plan to burn down your home. Can I come in? What would you say? Would you say, oh, yes, please do come in. I, I was just sitting in the kitchen talking to my husband about how we don't have a plan to burn the house down. Come on in. And then they come in and they tell you all about how, you know, it's not just, a, not don't just burn it down, but we're talking about burning it all the way down. So nothing's left, not even the foundation. You want to completely 
eliminate your home. And you want to set it in motion in such a way that there's nothing left. It's, if you know, you got you to start back over again. And you want to do it when your whole family's home. Is that, is that, <laughs> would you let that person in? Or would you be, would you be kind of reaching for your conciliatory position and saying, no thanks and shutting the door? <laughs> what would you be thinking? <laughs> this is what the diversity people are doing. Diversity and multiculturalists are literally telling America, you know what? I don't think you're burning down your culture fast enough. I don't think you're dividing Americans fast enough. I don't think you're creating white supremacists and white nationalists fast enough. You haven't offended enough white people. You haven't blamed enough white people for the problems of people they've never met before. You haven't demonized enough Americans. You don't have enough division in your country yet. People don't hate each other yet. We don't have any race wars going on yet. Let me help you burn down your own house. What does the Bible say about that? It says that an unwise person tears down their own home with their own hands. They don't maintain their home. They don't promote their home. They don't protect it. They tear it down. They rip it apart with their own hands. And so this, this is my question. What do you say to that person when they ring your doorbell, they knock on the door, you open it and they say, hi, I'm here to teach you how to burn your house to the ground and completely destroy not just your home and all of your possessions, but your family too. First thing we're going to do is we're going to cancel your home insurance. What do you say to that person? Do you not just slam the door in their face, but maybe do you call the police or maybe do you run them off your property and tell them if you ever see them there again, it's going to be some, some sad days. Do you defend your home and the concept that you want to, you want to bring it up? You want to build it up? You want to improve it? Or do you invite this terrorist, this fool into your home, make them a hot cup of coffee and let them lay out the plan for the destruction of everything you've worked for, everything you've prayed for? This is America in which we have invited liberals to come in and burn down our homes, burn down the very thing that is the one standing protection against lawlessness across the globe, we've allowed an arsonist to come in and set up camp. They've spent the night. They're planning our demise and we're helping. It's time to shut them down. It's time to evict them from this place. It's time to tell them no more, no more division. We'll be back with Jimmy Kemp after this. Hello, everyone. I'm Tim Wildman, president of American Family Association and American Family Radio. You know, the popularity of our spiritual heritage tours each year continues to grow. Those are our tours to Washington, D.C., Mount Vernon, Williamsburg, Jamestown, and Yorktown. Those are two separate trips, but uh, a lot of folks go on both of them. But the popularity continues to grow, and we sell out two or three months in advance every year. So we're letting you know when our June and September tours are. Just go to our website, spiritualheritagetours.com, spiritualheritagetours.com. There's two tours. There's one to Williamsburg, Jamestown, and Yorktown, and then there's a separate trip but they're back-to-back to to Washington, D.C. and to George Washington's Mount Vernon. So 
If you want to go on those tours with us, just go to the website spiritualheritagetours.com, spiritualheritagetours.com, and check out all the info. This is Viewpoints with Kirby Anderson. Although America is certainly a divided nation, the divisions between the various tribes are not as great as you might be led to believe. Yes, the social and political debates are loud and intense, but the fringe, rather than the mainstream, gets most of the attention. A study done by the group More in Common discovered the hidden tribes of America. The researchers discovered that a small group of the liberal wing and a smaller group on the conservative wing are the ones who consistently shout, post, and vote, while the rest of America is mostly exhausted by all the rhetoric. Here's an interesting contrast. On the one hand, these two groups hate each other and disagree with each other on just about every topic. On the other hand, they're very much alike. Both groups are mostly white, educated, and politically active. They always vote and give time and money to political campaigns. But here is the relevant fact. The two groups combined only constitute 14% of the American population. In other words, 86% of most of us watch and listen to these two groups argue and criticize each other while ignoring the many points in common we might have. This shouldn't be a surprise to you if you've been listening to my commentaries for any length of time. In the past, I've talked about various points of agreement. For example, Dirk Philipson made the argument many years ago that you could fill a room with Tea Party members, Occupy Wall Street activists, and concerned Americans, and find agreement. He says you would find people concerned about concentrated power, out-of-control change, and concerns about a government that no longer represents the people. After this divisive election season, we need to find a way to bring the American people together. We won't bring people together if we let the two fringe wings of the political spectrum dominate all of our discussions. I'm Kirby Anderson, and that's my point of view. Take Kirby and the Point of View team with you on the go with the Point of View app. Search for Point of View Radio at the Apple or Google Play stores. You can watch a live stream of the show on Facebook or YouTube at Stacy on the Right. Now, back to the show on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. Welcome back to the program at Stacy on the Right on Twitter and Instagram. Thank you so much for being with us today. I had to say, um, I hadn't actually intended on so much of segments being on this subject, but I think it's something that everyone is starting to realize. The gig is up. The gig is up. We have an opportunity to chart a path forward in this country and we can do it together or we can do it by clawing at each other's throats and tearing our country down to the ground. And I, for one, want to see us return to an attitude of unity. We'll never be 100% unified. We'll never be perfect. But we could certainly do better than we're doing now on understanding that there, there's an end goal in mind for this nation. And everyone can participate in that. Or we can just fight each other like cats and dogs. And, you know, where are we going to get from there except the Charlie Brown dirt ball? What do we get out of that? All right. My next guest is the president of the Kemp Foundation, the son of former Congressman Jack Kemp. Jimmy Kemp, thank you so much for joining the show today. Stacey, it's great to be on with you. Thanks for having me. Yeah, it's good to talk to you. So you have the Jack Kemp Foundation honoring philanthropist and entrepreneur Sean Parker. Tell us about this. Sure. Last night we did our annual Kemp Leadership Award dinner. Uh, our our goal is to honor an exceptional leader who champions the American idea, which was the political the way my dad described his political philosophy. And the, the American idea at its core 
is that here in this country, with a deep understanding of natural law and the way that God created humans and human nature and what has happened in our relationship with God, that we are, we're, we're not perfect. But here in this country, created in God's image, each of us has the opportunity to not have the condition of our birth determine the outcome of our life. And that American idea is what we seek to advance at the foundation. So each year we try to honor someone who has, has done a, a, uh, an incredible job advancing the American idea. And Sean Parker, who a lot of people have not heard of, uh, is the visionary behind a policy that is now law called Opportunity Zones, which is a way to bring free market principles to address our problems around poverty, both urban and rural poverty. Um, because what we believe is that with human dignity, and what Sean Parker believes is that with human dignity, he, all people, especially Americans, but all people, but definitely here in America, everybody should have the opportunity to, should have equality of opportunity. Um, not equality of outcome, that's not what is guaranteed. And opportunity zones exist to help incentivize people to invest in business ideas and concepts uh, in poor communities, in distressed com communities, both urban and rural. And uh, if anybody just Googles opportunity zones, you'll see all sorts of attention uh, around these opportunity zones and a good explanation. But anyway, Sean Parker is a technology uh, guy who's made a lot of money, and he set out to change the U.S. federal tax code, and shockingly, he succeeded. So we gave him the Kemp Leadership Award last night at a dinner here in Washington, D.C., and uh, we had Senator Tim Scott from South Carolina with us. We had Ivanka Trump from the White House, and we had Senator Ben Sass from Nebraska, and finally we had President of the Heritage Foundation, Kay Coles-James, uh, and all of them talked about the American idea and their vision about how to accomplish what you just described, which is building a more perfect union. We will never be perfect, but we all need to work to build a more perfect union, and that was the spirit that we tried to uh, draw on last evening. So it's a pretty exciting uh, concept. I actually was in Nashville, and I interviewed Art Laffer, the creator of the Laffer Curve, and he said something very yep. similar to what you just described about Opportunity Zones. He was giving uh, me a kind of a report card rundown of the state of Missouri's uh, health in the tax arena. And he talked about the 3,000 and some odd uh, taxing districts that we have here in the state of Missouri where Nashville has less than 20 or the state of T Tennessee has less than 20. And he said if he if I asked him how he would remedy the economic disparity that we see where we have socioeconomically depressed areas where people are literally they're they're so far away from the American dream. It's almost like they're in another country. And the first right. thing he said was uh, enterprise zones. He would lower the tax rate on businesses and individuals to zero in areas that are economically depressed to encourage development, to encourage jobs to set up there and to encourage people to use more of their income to have access to it, to do more things, to pull themselves out of poverty. 
And he was bedrock solid about it. So he also was instrumental in passing the uh, tax reform that that we are now enjoying right now this year, uh, thanks to President Trump and so many others who had the vision to get on board and reduce corporate taxes and reduce income taxes for millions of Americans. You mentioned opportunity zones, enterprise zones, 0% capital gains rates in communities, and really encouraging banks to lend in these kind of riskier areas that banks tend not to want to lend in. Why don't we see more people on the other side of the aisle reaching out and uh, at least being interested in investigating these types of opportunities because there's been so much failure from, you know, single leftist control over decades in these, in these same communities that we're talking about. Yes. Well, Sean Parker happens to be a Democrat. Uh, he's not a political figure, um, but he, uh, he, what he assembled when he was creating the Opportunity Zone legislation, and that's what he did through a, an organization called the Economic Innovation Group. He got a Republican and a Democrat to work on draft legislation. This is back, let's see, this is back at the end of the W. Bush administration. No, actually, this is smack dab in the middle of the Obama administration. Parker got a Republican and a Democrat, to draft this Opportunity Zone legislation based on my dad's legislation from the 80s, which never passed, called Enterprise Zones. And they updated my dad's plan. And, and then they got a Republican and Democrat co-sponsor in the Senate, so Senator Tim Scott from South Carolina and Senator Cory Booker from New Jersey. And that bipartisan bill got inserted by President Trump into the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act of 2017, which we all know is the tax reform that we got. Um, But it was President Trump who pushed that bipartisan legislation. And so I believe there are Democratic mayors around the country uh, who are really excited about this Opportunity Zone legislation. And really what, and and the big news about uh, Amazon having their two headquarters, there are huge subsidies that are coming from New York City and from uh, Northern Virginia to attract Amazon to, ha- to split their headquarters, right? Well, all those mm-hmm. subsidies are, are tax cuts. And Democrats, they, they think that that's the answer when what we believe as conservatives is that getting tax rates low and correct and simple, that is the incentive that is really necessary. And Opportunity Zones um, it, it's not a panacea, but the goal is to unleash capital and get it into distressed communities. And the good news, Stacy, is that there are Democrats. They're not as vocal about their support for it right now um, because of our politically divided time. But when the bill was going through Congress, they, there were many Democrats who signed on, and, and Democratic mayors and governors are excited about Opportunity Zones today. Okay, so I, the first thing I want to say is – Thank God for the clarity. I'm glad I asked the question because I find it disturbing that we haven't had more of an acknowledgement that we need bipartisan work on solving problems in these communities. I don't actually think one party rule for either side in inner cities is appropriate, mainly because the population in inner cities tends to be just as varied as it is anywhere else. I just want to see an opportunity for ideas that come from somewhere else other than the left hand side of the spectrum championed and it sounds like that's what sean parker did what what an amazing story 
that's the, yes, I agree. I think it's an incredible story. That's why we honored him. And uh, to have Ivanka Trump and Tim Scott and Ben Sass and Kay Coles James all come, we had 300 people come to the dinner. Secretary Carson joined us, uh, Larry Kudlow from the White House. Um, so there's, there's a lot of enthusiasm uh, around this. Governors and mayors, like I said, are very excited. These are our conservative philosophy teaches us that local solutions are the best solutions and opportunity zones are designed for local solutions to be raised. These are not federal programs. This is a private sector incentive for investors to invest and make money. Making money is not a bad thing, <laughs> right? We don't, that's the problem with liberals. The liberals accuse people too often, too often, of being greedy. No, we want to, the whole premise of democratic capitalism is to create a better life for your children and the next generation than you've had. That's why this country is a great country. This is the land of opportunity, unless government gets too big and tries to make all the decisions for people and condemns people to a life of having their hand out. Um, that is not a way to treat human beings who are, uh, you know, created in the image of God and designed to create themselves. And so we got to revive that entrepreneurial spirit, and uh, that's, the, that's the spirit that we were trying to capture and highlight uh, last evening. Well, I'm really excited about this. I'm hoping that his, Sean Parker's success with this will catch on like a flame and other cities will take this on. I believe there are millions of Americans trapped in inner cities that want to work, that want a kind of a roadmap to access the success and opportunity that is the American economy. And that the best time for us to strike is now, while we have a president who is much more business-minded and interested in working across the aisle. That's, that's what's so, so weird about people saying horrible things about Donald Trump. As much as, you know, obviously he's an imperfect man and he's, he's not always right or, or he, he doesn't always speak in ways that we would all approve of. But you can't deny that he wants to do business and that he wants to see business flourish in this country. And you have to move when the, the opportunity strikes. Now is the best time for any group, any interested party to access this atmosphere of the opportunity to change and to make really substantial progress in inner cities in creating new opportunities for Americans. And, and I know it's primarily the black community that suffers in the inner city with poverty, but it doesn't mean we can't change that. It, it's really irrelevant who's doing the suffering. What's relevant is how do we stop it? How do we change it? Absolutely. Um, you, you defeat bad ideas. Um, and frankly, I think subsidies are a bad, it's a bad idea. It's a bad precedent to set. So if you look at the Amazon headquarters, it may not mm -hmm. be huge news where you are. No, it's uh, huge because we were in the Florida. running. <laughs> it's huge. St. Louis oh, well, was not. Well, well, they, we didn't make it to the final 25, but we were in the running at one point. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, um, you know, having uh, government subsidies is, hey, we're, we're the government. We're smart. We know how to do things. But now you're, you're kind of cutting your legs out from under you, and you're, in a sense, picking winners and losers. And, and uh, it gave Amazon a huge um, hand up. Uh, so, so that is a real uh, problem. We need a simple tax code. Ultimately, that's what we need. Um, and 
but you don't solve uh, you don't solve problems by, by not proposing solutions. And so, in my opinion, conservatives need to be need to reclaim our rightful space by proclaiming what solutions work best. And and those solutions come from the principles on which the country was founded, um, and especially understanding that we, we will never have perfection. I'm not perfect. I know how I've got four boys, 19, 17, 15, 12. My family, man, I wish I were a better parent. I'm always trying to figure out how to get better. I get reminded of my imperfections every day. But my kids and my wife know that I'm trying. And that's our country is, should be a big family. And we do need goodwill. You were talking about it earlier before I came on, and uh, I completely agree. But we need to identify problems, um, not with venom, but try to do it with clarity and then really focus on solutions. So that's why we're, we're really happy to highlight a successful bipartisan solution. And I agree with you. We need both parties competing for every vote. And uh, I think it, it's a great opportunity right now because President Trump has disrupted government. He's disrupted politics. Uh, those things have not been working as, as well as they should. Um, and, and so, yeah, it's, uh, it's a disruptive time. He's certainly unorthodox. Um, but, you know, it, we, in this country, we do not have a king. We don't have somebody who we have to pledge fealty to. Um, no, we don't. And Trump and right. I, I want to ask you a quick question about the the mic the not Microsoft the sure. Amazon the deal. And we're just in the last. You're going to have like 30 seconds to answer this, but I, I think it's important because I want to get your opinion sure. as well. Which is, why didn't Jeff Bezos? I know he's power seeking and he wants to be able to influence what other businesses can do. But when you look at American population and cities, there are at least. 13, maybe 20 possible options for him to move headquarters two and three to for a total of 55 to 60,000 jobs and revitalize two American cities rather than stacking people on top of each other in Crystal City and New York. He could have gone to Grand Rapids or, you know, we're talking about maybe maybe uh, Cleveland, Ohio. Knoxville, Tennessee. He could have even chosen a smaller town like Joplin, Missouri, and he would have literally created a whole new paradigm. I hear the music. Why didn't he do that? I'll give you a quick answer. I don't know. (laughs) Good answer. Uh, I I just don't understand it. I wish I could have him on the show, you know, Jimmy, to ask him, like, why are you doing this? But thank you so much for coming on and sharing with us. Congratulations on the the award. When I talk to him next, I'll I'll tell him to come on with you. Yeah, tell him. Send him my way. We'd love to talk to him. Jimmy Kemp, president of the Kemp Foundation. Thank you for joining us today. We'll be right back with more after this. a minute with Stacey Washington. Tucker Carlson is an author, founder of the Daily Caller website, and host of a debate show on cable's Fox News Network. He is known for his brutally honest commentary on the state of politics and culture. Because of this, he has been declared the enemy of the Democrats' mob action arm, Antifa. Recently, a group of Antifa thugs calling themselves Smash Racism published Carlson's home address and filmed themselves defacing his cars and driveway while hurling themselves against his front door. 
the Carlson children were not at home, only his wife was. She called 911 and locked herself in the pantry. Carlson was at his office at Fox News preparing to broadcast his program. Police responded and dispersed the crowd. It's outrageous that not one of the assailants was arrested. This was no protest. It was criminal trespass, attempted breaking and entering, and destruction of private property. I'm Stacey Washington. Find out more at StaceyOnTheRight.com. We live in a day when America's families are under attack like never before. Buddy Smith, Senior Vice President of the American Family Association. The war against biblical principles rages on numerous fronts. The Internet, Hollywood, Washington, D.C., America's corporate boardrooms, and the list goes on. At American Family Association, we're committed to standing against the enemies of God, the enemies of your family. And we recognize it's an impossible task without God's favor and your partnership. Thank you for being faithful to pray for this ministry, to give financially and to respond to our calls for activism. What you do on the home front is crucial to what we do on the battlefront. We praise God for your faithfulness. And may he give us many victories in the battles ahead as we work together to restore our nation's biblical foundations. Securing America. 30.6 million people are expected to fly to Thanksgiving destinations, an all-time high, an increase of 1.6 million passengers, more than a year ago. Our collective focus is on passengers, their security, their safety. TSA Administrator David Pekoski says additional officers and staff at our nation's airports, canine teams, and new technology awaits for safer and faster security, where checkpoints make up most of passenger wait times, with the biggest hang-up. Folks that don't know what the prohibited items are, things that we don't allow into a cabin of an aircraft. TSA.gov will answer all those questions of what you can and cannot bring with you, but officials also recommend you allow for extra time and pray, if you do, that you can avoid the busiest travel days, the Wednesday before Thanksgiving and the Sunday after. Jeff Manasso, Fox News. Welcome back to Stacy on the Right on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. Well, here's what I believe. I believe the law hasn't been followed from the beginning. You know, the, those early votes, the last time they were cast was the Sunday before the election. Uh, by law, those are supposed to be downloaded and sent to the state at, by 7.30 p.m. on the night of the election. Uh, and then you have to process the absentee ballots, the mail ballots that had come in before that time. And then there's always some that come in Monday and Tuesday before the election. Those should be shortly thereafter. They didn't follow any of that. There's always additional votes added to every county because people are voting from overseas or because uh, you haven't fully processed all the ones that you had by 730. But you're supposed to update that every 45 minutes. They didn't do that. Uh, we know, for example, that as part of Broward County's vote count, it includes at least 19 people who were disqualified from voting by their own canvassing board who they only took the ballots to after being forced, after being caught. And we don't know how many others that may have happened in. And now we know they didn't start the recount, the machine recount, until this morning. After everybody else started Saturday or Sunday, Miami Dade is almost done. So it's irregularity after irregularity. And as far as stealing is concerned, let me just make this one point on that. That's what election lawyers, the election lawyers are not coming to Florida to make sure every vote is counted. 
The reason why election lawyers get involved is to make sure as many votes as possible for their client is counted and as many votes as possible for their opponent is disqualified. And when you have an office, this in, an office, uh, an election office, this incompetent and, and this law breaking, it creates enormous opportunity for those sorts of arguments to be made. And suddenly the election's decided by a judge or by lawyers, not by voters the way they're supposed to be. Wow. So that's Senator Marco Rubio talking about the fiasco that's going on in Florida. I'm, I, I encourage you to continue to pray for justice and that God would put godly people in these uh, very, very important offices. And I just want to highlight that uh, Governor Rick Scott, it's funny that the result of this snafu and this election, this attempt at election stealing and meddling is that he's actually got his election to the Senate bound up in all of this, this garbage. He should have fired that election supervisor years ago. A dereliction of duty on his part has resulted in this. Uh, I know, you know, it's just a mess. It is what happens when lawlessness is allowed to go on unchecked. People don't say to themselves, oh, I just had enough lawlessness. I'm going to start behaving. Once people start down the path of disobedience, they're just going to keep going further and further down, faster and faster, galloping and galloping, and you see more and more other people join in. They're like, well, if you can get away with it, I can too. That's the danger. And so those who feel justified, well, we've got to win this election because we can't allow the Republicans to control this or control that. If you're participating in lawlessness in order to reach an aim because you think the aim is honorable, but you're going to use dishonorable means to achieve it, that can't be blessed. God can't bless that. Whether it's in our personal lives or uh, politics, electoral systems, at work, whatever. If you're doing it and your mind says the ends justify the means, you don't understand how this thing works. That doesn't mean what you think it means. You're not going to get the benefit, the, the positive result that you're looking for. So, you know, there it is. So now I promised you and we got a little... We wound around, but the show has been good today, and I've really I've enjoyed the guests that we've had on. Um, and what I'd like to do now is get into this truth behind the caravan. So Amy Horowitz, I should, Ami Horowitz, his name is A.M.I. Horowitz. He's a guy. He has this expose that he just put out, and it's called The Truth Behind the Caravan. And here he is in number two. He literally went and was embedded with this caravan I think he's maybe still down there traveling with them, observing what's going on. This is the news reporting you're not getting. This is what CNN will never show on their, you know, hundreds of screens they have in airports all over the country, which, by the way, we're working on something where we're going to figure out how we can, as a community, when you think about the listening audience of American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk and how many millions of people are touched by this radio on a weekly basis, the fact that we all of us have to suffer through listening to CNN blaring at like 25 on the volume control in every airport in America, there's got to be a way to put a stop to that. And we are going to come up with a plan that we can try here in Missouri, here in, at Lambert Airport, and then replicate and hopefully send out the just the basically the, the template for it so other Americans who are concerned about the pervasive filth coming out of CNN being piped into people's ears against their will in airports. We got to put a stop to that. So look for that. We're, we're, we're 
currently I've got some friends and myself who we were discussing it this morning and we are going to make it happen. We're going to start something that we can do actionable that we can try to make a change there. Um, but right now I want to get to, to Ami Horowitz talking about the truth behind the caravan. It's number two. There's a massive logistical effort underway akin to moving an army and is clearly costing someone millions of dollars for the transportation, food, water, medicine and services that are being provided for the members of the caravan. It's a supply chain that's being delivered by an army of trucks, which are all necessary to keep this enormous group moving forward. This is a truck actually carrying generic Gatorade. It's got electrolytes. The Mexican government also seems to be sending police to escort the dozens of buses and trucks that are ferrying the migrants and supplies along the route to the next destination. Ever present among the thousands of migrants are workers of Pueblo Sin Fronteras, clad in black t-shirts and colored vests. Pueblo Sin Fronteras means people without borders. They are the ones that seem to be most involved in organizing and mobilizing this caravan. The organization, as the name implies, is looking to create a world without borders, which seems to be one of the reasons why they organized this caravan in the first place, to flout American sovereignty. Many of the Frontera workers have a very interesting perspective on the United States, particularly since they're trying to move all these migrants into our country. Do you hear that? So the open borders folks who help facilitate the migrants moving into Europe and destabilizing their cultures are now over here. They have literally put out a call and they're paying these people and they have in the in the video, you can see huge tents that they've set up so that when people get sick along the way, they can be treated with antibiotics and whatever they need. I mean, work with me here, people work with me here. Americans in South America gathering up illegal immigrants and shipping them to our southern border to destabilize our country. Every one of them should be charged with treason. What? I mean, it does anything mean anything anymore? So here he is. He says the Americans in the caravan are training illegals to game our immigration system. Um, it's number three. This is one of the organizers on the ground with Pueblo Sin Fronteras, and she explains how they help the migrants game the U.S. immigration system. We're working on collaborating with a lot of organizations to do large-scale legal orientation so people understand their options for refugee and humanitarian protection here in Mexico, as well as their rights to request oh, asylum so, no, stay and provide you know, mass presentations about know your rights, they call them knowing rights presentations, like to bring people together and, and make sure they understand that they can organize and they can fight for their rights. Are you helping them on how to, how to speak to reporters? And uh, training folks and, and how to deal with threats. So like, I was telling Fox News here, just, like asking really scary questions. They made a kind of unsafe environment? Yeah, of course. How many of you are there? How many from the organization? From... The United Nations has been very active with the caravan from the moment it crossed the border. Several of its agencies are on the ground with them and have expended a great deal of time and money on helping the caravan move along. There are probably several billion people in the world who are seeking a better life. Do these migrants think that all of them should be allowed to enter the U.S.? Should America let in anybody who wants to come in? It seems to me that there are leftist organizations that are using these migrants as a tool to push a certain political agenda, which includes the weakening of American sovereignty and our border security. And unfortunately, these migrants are going to be caught in the crossfire.
So they're being used, first of all, these migrants are being used to bring about the kind of change that these leftists want to see. And remember, these same leftists, and I don't, I actually took it with me to uh, book club this morning. We finished for this, for this month, we read the book Ship of Fools by Tucker Carlson, where he talks about how so many people uh, in, in America who are middle class, upper middle class, they actually live in enclaves where there are tons of illegal immigrants driving in, walking in, catching the bus in to water their plants, wash their sheets, mop their floors, clean their bathrooms, watch over their tiny kids while they're at Soul Cycle and yoga classes. And their college age kids are traveling abroad. These are people with a lot of disposable income. And that the reason, the primary reason why American elites and Asila Corridor elites and limousine liberals love illegal immigrants and people from Honduras is because back in the 30s and 40s, when a lot of American households of affluence had servants, they were of Irish descent. And an Irish servant in your home kind of looked like they could be your cousin. This this is what's in Tucker Carlson's book on, the, on that subject. He says, you're feeling a little bit of guilt because you're like, why is someone who looks like they could be my cousin or my sister or my uncle cleaning my toilet? And if you want to say something derogatory about them to your spouse or to your kids and they're present, you can't say it because they speak English just like you. But if you bring up third world labor from Honduras or El Salvador, people who don't speak English and they don't care whether they're paid minimum wage, $5 a day or $5 an hour for them, any, any amount that you're offering is better than the $5 a day they're earning down at their country. They're, they're, taking a year to earn a couple thousand US dollars in America you could pay them you know 10,000 for the entire year and they'll work for you like they've never worked for anyone else when you want to say a derogatory comment about them to your family member you don't have to hide it because they don't speak English they they only know a few words and they're compliant and they'll keep working for you like that without ever expecting raises or any of that stuff under the table for as long as you'll have them. So you get to put your cape on and be a hero for rescuing this third worlder and you get to feel so good about yourself and you get to look down on Trumplicans, on Trumpites, on Trumpies. You get to look down on people who's whose entire towns have been decimated by the closure of the steel plant or the mine or the shipping off of factory jobs. You get to look down on people who've literally trained some third world person who doesn't speak English how to do their job and then they were summarily fired because they're white and what's their problem? They should get a better job, get a better education. Who cares if opioid abuse is destroying their communities? Who cares? This is about saving people from Honduras. You get to put your cape on and feel really good about yourself while you're in your soul cycle class. And your husband or, you know, your same sex partner gets to go to a college or university where they're earning well over 100000 a year, teaching American kids how horrible Trumplicans are and how wonderful it is to Im- import third world labor. This is where we are in this country right now. And, and part of it, we have to own the responsibility of the fact that American conservatives really checked out of our public education system and allowed the liberals to own it. And after 25 years of them teaching our kids that America is a place to be hated, but simultaneously a place where all third worlders should be allowed to come. And now we're expecting what? These young people that you can see in the video are the product of that educational system. 
And never mind the fact that the neighborhood that they live in with the gated community or the private school they attended will never have one of these third world Hondurans in it, attending it. They won't have a a big bus drive in with 400 of them, buses, caravan of them get dropped off in the middle of the country. These people don't speak any English. They don't know what they're doing. They just get dropped off in the middle of the country. And the town that's the town is like, where'd these people come from? You literally have a bus of folks who are illegal immigrants just show up. What are you supposed to do? Like, what are the people who live there supposed to do? I don't know about you, but I don't just have a lot of um, space or, you know, disposable income to just all of a sudden 200 migrants show up. And what what are we supposed to do with that? But they don't show up in these Tony communities with the with the gates and the, you know, no, they drop them off in the interior of the country in places where um, social services will have to pick up the tab or the community will have to pick up the tab. This is where we are in this country. I mean, it, it is, it, it's kind of like you can't comprehend it. And I encourage you, if you want to know what I'm talking about, so I can give you a few vital statistics on Tucker Carlson's book. First of all, it's a heavy lift in that it's chock full of information and facts, but it is not a hard read. And you, if you get it on Audible, you can listen to it. He reads it himself, which makes it so... It's so relatable because it's just like he is on his television show, only he's reading the book. And the information in the book is I was actually surprised by some of what I learned in the book because I I consider myself to be well-informed. But there were areas where he did some research and brought forward facts where I was kind of like, whoa, uh, whoa. So he he took the time to put together a, a high quality book with great information in it. And he just presents the facts to you. Uh, not a lot of pontificating, but you know he's he's pretty witty and very sharp tongued, so it's it's fun to listen to. It's a good read. Um, it's not good, not something that you're going to pick up and get a chapter or two in and put it down and not pick it back up again. It's a good book. Uh, I would I would recommend it, and I also recommend that if you like reading political books, that you put together a little group of your own. Call some friends and say, hey, let's get let's read this book this month and get together and discuss it. And from there, you can, you know, be a little more active. Just another way to get together with friends and enjoy. All right. That's the show for today. Thank you so much for being with us. God bless you. Enjoy your evening. Adios from the heartland. <laughs>